0: it's so long since we saw each other
1: yeah yeah Age, how long ago was it That lewis i think was probably the last
0: i'm sure it was 2011 wasn't it wow long time
1: time flies mm. and hopefully your leg has been all right ever since
0: i haven't had a single twinge great <laughs> yeah it was it was great what, what you did it it was it was an experience to say the least i haven't had anything like it since obviously or before but it was uh It was was something which I wondered if that was the reason why I didn't have a single problem at all. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was. I can't prove that it was, but you know, I haven't. It was great.
1: Two or three years ago uh, when I was giving talks around the place, uh, at one point I um, recorded me treating 34 people in a row and getting every single one out of pain. 34 people in a row.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That, that, that truly is the machine that I wrote a story about when I was a child. I can't remember if I ever told you that story. No. But um, the very, very first composition that I did at school, it was a blank canvas. Basically, the teacher said, write a story about anything that you like. Just have a beginning, a middle, middle and an end. And I wrote a story about a guy who I described as a mad professor type who basically invented a machine which took the form of a chair, but it was a very special chair that people sat on and it took away all of their pain, but all pain of all descriptions. <laughs> so it's like you say, people were queuing up and getting on this chair and all their pain was going away. And what you said reminded me of literally, it was the narrative of the story. So oh, I've
1: got yeah. shivers up my spine. <laughs> well, yeah, you were prescient, clearly. Can the legal process actually work in our favor? And clearly your experience has been in the past that it has, and, but maybe with masses of work, how do you feel now about uh, using the legal process to, to stop the, the whole COVID insanity? Is, is there hope there?
0: Um, yes and no. And um, it's not an easy question to answer, but it is a very pertinent one that is being asked by a number of critical thinkers currently who've witnessed for themselves the same things that myself and Mike O'Darer, Tom Crawford, and many others on the front line fighting mortgage fraud since pretty much 2008, um, we can bear testimony to the rigged nature of the system. Uh, More specifically, the rigged nature of the civil courts, um, which have gatekeepers uh, at every single juncture within the process, whatever process you're following. And um, even if you win in court and out of court, The judges will issue completely different conflicting judgments to the ones that they gave you because you you didn't give them another option when you were there face to face. And then they railroad you by writing a judgment, which is as if it's taken from another proceeding altogether. And I've not only experienced this multiple times, I have invented ways of using their rules, which they use against us, against them to force them into positions where they give judgments that they didn't have a choice but to give.
1: Really, I wanted to speak with you about everything you've been doing. You know, I've always had this feeling that, well, can, can the legal process actually work in our favor? And clearly your experience has been in the past that it has, and, but maybe with masses of work. How do you feel now about...
0: Yes and no and um it's not an easy question to answer but it is a very pertinent one that is being asked by a number of critical thinkers currently who've witnessed for themselves the same things that myself and Mike odara tom crawford and many others on the front line fighting mortgage fraud since pretty much 2008 um we can bear testimony to the rigged nature of the system uh, more specifically the rigged nature of the civil courts, um, which have gatekeepers uh, at every single juncture within the process, whatever process you're following. And um, even if you win in court and out of court, the judges will issue completely different conflicting judgments to the ones that they gave you because you you didn't give them another option when you were there face to face and then they railroad you by writing a judgment which is as if it's taken from another proceeding altogether and I've not only experienced this multiple times I have invented ways of using their rules which they use against us against them to force them into positions where they give judgments that they didn't have a choice but to give. And they would never have chosen willingly to give the judgment. But they do so because we are able, by using the right strategies, to get them in a corner from which they can only emerge giving us at least one thing that we were seeking. Now, let's, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, and this is one that the listeners um out there who uh, know about the great british mortgage swindle will already know about and those who don't i'm, I'm going to fill you all in now basically after a very long struggle at a point when i'd been banned from every civil and criminal court in the country for two years after a series of miscarriages of justice which i fought in relation to a, a set of fraudulent mortgages the bank of scotland were, were holding over my parents private Property trust. And um, even though I was banned from the courts, I'd used a strategy to, let's say, to tempt my adversary's lawyers into ma- making certain applications, which I knew were doomed to fail. But I managed to convince them through, let's just say, <laughs> using my wits into making these hopeless applications. And once those applications were thrown out, which they were when they arrived at court and they weren't expecting this to happen, the legal representative who was behind the fraudulent claim and had been representing the bank from the beginning, she basically was proven in court to have told an outright lie under oath when she said, literally in open court, I did not sign any letter which said the trustees wouldn't be held personally liable for the debts of the trust. And we'd let her believe that we didn't have a copy of that letter because we asked that she disclosed it to the court. And she assumed that we didn't have a copy. And then my dad, who was in court representing himself for the very first time in the high court, because I wasn't allowed to be there. He held up the letter in question signed by that solicitor and said, what? This letter. And of course, the woman in question not only had kittens there and there on the spot, she left the case that day. And six weeks later, she would emigrated to Sydney. Wow. That's how you win.
1: <laughs> Very good.
0: And um... oh, At the same time, sorry, just to fill out the rest of, of that question, the answer to that question. The... The difference between being in a situation like that, a war of attrition in the civil miscarriage of justice system, you you don't win because judges hand down a just verdict or because you win with substantive argument backed by evidence and the law. Oh no, you don't win like that. You win by being more clever than they are in the way you strategize your plan to obtain victory in the situation we found ourselves in during COVID-1984, there have been many claims that have been made in the civil system from the very beginning of of which I have said publicly, it's a waste of time based on the experience that I've had and so many others that literally, the the victories that we have through war of attrition in that system are so few and far between it's very seldom worth making even a single application. And yet there've been many thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands raised for proceedings, which in my view, never had a chance of succeeding. So I completely understand why people would ask the question in relation to the private criminal prosecution that I'm running in the criminal domain against the midazolam murderers, which of course we can talk about in more detail, but I understand why people are raising the question, oh, well, Michael, is that not just the same as going into the civil system and expecting a just outcome? And the reason why the answer is no, is because in the criminal system, when you are alleging an indictable offence, that means an offence that someone can be sent to prison for a substantial um, term for. and. Uh, When you are alleging a serious crime, that automatically means that it can't be dealt by the magistrate's court. It has to be dealt with by the most senior district judge who used to be called a stipendiary magistrate, the most senior district judge available when the charges are laid before the court. Now, in our case, what this means in words anyone can understand is there's only one individual, be they male or female, who we have to convince that we have enough prima facie evidence, not only for the case to proceed, but to convict before a jury. And those last words are the most crucial that I've just said, before a jury. That there are so few incidences that that I've been able to find of any occurrence which amounts to a jury being rigged I've looked I can't find any no one's ever come to me in the time I've been doing this which is getting on for 15 years nobody has ever come to me with a story about they they were railroaded by a jury however I've got hundreds if not thousands of stories that I can recall from people who had no connection with each other who've been shafted by judges in the civil system There have been people who have been shafted on appeal in the criminal domain, there's no doubt about that. There have been rigged verdicts where the evidence was falsified and someone was sent down when they were innocent, Guildford 4, the Birmingham 6, I could go on. But when a case proceeds as a private criminal prosecution, without the Crown's involvement, and it gets to the point where a judge has to simply say whether or not the, the, the case satisfies all of the rules, I can say hand on heart that we have the opinion of the most senior Crown Prosecutor in the English-speaking world, and those at that level or near that level will know exactly who I'm talking about, but I'm not going to give his name away at this juncture. But in his opinion, the Midazolam murders case has already, within it, sufficient prima facie evidence to not only justify that this case goes forward but he's saying that there is at least at this juncture easily enough prima facie evidence to convict on the charges that we've laid simultaneous to this happening we are also in a position where we've been recently asked to submit the midazolam murders evidence that we've amassed to a Met investigation, which Mark Sexton and uh, and, and some very courageous doctors and legal professionals are involved in and um, because of them succeeding in getting a crime number when they laid their evidence and their charges of gross negligence, manslaughter and murder before the Met, um, the Met were presented with an opportunity that they could have refused to look at the Medazalan murders evidence that we have. They've they've described the investigation as an investigation into the criminal allegations against the government in in terms of their response to COVID-19, and they initially were sent an email by me describing the evidence that we had and also explaining that we had this senior Crown Prosecutor who was advising us and who was essentially running the legal case. And this, is a, this particular barrister is a man who has specialised in prosecuting serious crimes and those have often been against people of, let's say, senior rank and protection within the establishment. And um, such is his record that just his name being uttered does put the fear of God up those who know know what he is capable of doing in a courtroom. Now, this is someone who never gets involved in a case unless he knows there's enough evidence to win it. And he's already told me privately, and very soon it's gonna become public knowledge that this man has not only gotten behind this case, that he may well end up presenting it in court, if we don't give it to another barrister, but they will absolutely be at the QC level and no less than that, such as the level that this man operates at. So what I'm essentially saying to you, Clive, is that with that heavyweight legal opinion behind the email that I sent to the Met, the Met, within a very short period, got back to me. And one of the detectives who's already been assigned to the case, got in contact with me and asked me to just explain and clarify how exactly the Medazalam murders evidence is linked with their investigation into the COVID-19 response of the UK government. So I responded to that email explaining that within government documents that we already have adduced in evidence, we can show emphatically that part of the government approved NICE or NICE guidelines, which have been rolled out throughout the NHS since at least April, 2020, they basically stipulated that if anybody was diagnosed as either having COVID and being likely to die or likely to get COVID in the future and die, then a man or woman in a white coat could place them on the end of life pathway and use something they describe as predictive prescribing. In other words, they can say about anyone who tests false positive, whether with a lateral flow or a PCR test, they can say anyone who tests false positive is now on the end of life pathway and they then, as stipulated in these government documents, even down to the amount that needs to be administered and the time that it needs to be administered within, we can show that they could effectively place anybody of any demographic, no matter what the true nature of the state of their health, they can place them on the end of life pathway, simply predicting, oh, you're going to catch this and die in the future. Therefore, I'm going to prescribe you 10 milligrams of midazolam per hour or per per 24 hour period. And that will slow down your breathing and I'll carry on giving you 10 milligram doses until your breathing slows down and ceases altogether. And if you're lucky, we'll give you an opioid like morphine as well, which will knock you out, but we're not going to do that until we make sure that you have signed a do not attempt resuscitate notice. And occasionally if you don't do that, you refuse to do it, and one of your nearest and dearest refuses to do it we will forge the signature and say that you've, you've already done it and kill you anyway. That's what they've been doing, Clive, but they haven't been doing this as a series of one-off incidences. They have been aiming during COVID-1984 and perhaps since at least 2016, and we've got all the policy documents which prove it, they have been aiming to manage population by taking out a targeted 160,000 people per year. And the, 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 the very demographics, the, supposed, the, the, the ones they call the most vulnerable, the ones they were supposed to be protecting with all of these COVID policies, they are the targeted, targeted demographics for euthanasia, which is a criminal offence, otherwise known as murder in this country.
1: So how many of the doctors and nurses administering the medazolam are aware of what they're doing? What percentage?
0: I've, I've asked that very question of some courageous doctors who've walked away because of what was going on. And what they said, I won't name names, but what they all said in very emotive terms, was that what has become apparent to everyone within the NHS with a good heart who got into it for the right reasons, which they all estimate to be around 85%, they are saying that all of the murder with midazolam and morphine and other drugs as well, remdesivir is another one that they use, um, all of it is being driven by a 15% quotient within the NHS that they very tentatively describe as perhaps psychotic or sociopathic, that they are doing this for the greater good, just like the government always says it's acting in the name of the greater good. Just like all of the globalists who've who've eulogized about population reduction being the number one threat to the earth for decades, if not longer. Just like they've done all of that, the excuse That they are using is if we don't do this, the earth is going to die because there's too many people. When the truth is, if people just check the fact for themselves on Google Earth, they will see that they could easily allocate a quarter of an acre of land to everybody on this earth and still you wouldn't fill Australia.
1: Yes, indeed. So, I mean, Let's say there are 15% who are psychotic murderers, but the other 85% in the NHS, I mean, they can't be blind to what's going on. They must, they must see it, surely.
0: No, this is, this is the problem, and that's why um, there are, um, thankfully, so many more nurses and doctors, because we know this, because behind the scenes, that most of them, if not all of them, are eventually coming um, to us and asking if they can help or we can help them in any way. And I can tell you that they're all saying, there's no one. There's no one apart from the people that they wheel in who can't speak the language, qualified in other countries, but, you know, they just do what they're told. Apart from those people, most of the staff are in a constant fear of either losing their job or it becoming too much and they have to walk away and they don't know how to pay the mortgage. That that is what they've used against them, that you'll never work again in the NHS if you speak out about what's really going on. You've got to keep your mouth shut. And we've had senior consultants anonymously and now publicly have confirmed that this went on right at the beginning at a senior staff level, they were told by whoever was in charge of the local um, health region, they were told that this was for the greater good, they had to keep their mouths shut and this was government policy so they couldn't do anything about it anyway. They haven't said that to the less senior staff are being used mercilessly in in these murders and that's why we're urging everybody within the NHS and anywhere else who knows who's witnessed this if you now come forward either to myself to Mark Oakford or to David Lady or any of the existing UCT trustees and you say that you have evidence that you want to submit to the Medazalam mass murder by government policy case, we will do everything we can to assist. And what I'm also saying to all those people, everyone who works in the NHS who's still there and they know it's wrong, you need to speak out now because this is going to court, whatever the rigged system does in the words or paraphrasing the words of Lord Denning when the justice system fails to deliver justice to the people, the people will create their own remedies and solve the problems themselves. So if there's any shenanigans, as we've had to deal with before in the courts, so many times, if there's anything, any big obstacle that is placed in a way that we can't obliterate by employing some kind of appropriate strategy, there will still be a trial by jury and there will still be a justice of the peace who is willing to issue the arrest warrants and the search warrants that we have already asked a criminal court to issue. Now, at this present juncture, because let's just say that since the winter solstice, since the 21st of December 2021, there has been a completely different energy on these shows. And so many people have, 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 have contacted me and expressed the same palpable feeling that the British people really are in the process of rising up and saying no more of this shit, not while we're here, and there's no backing down on this. So everybody who was in any way to this moment in time being complicit in these most heinous of crimes, you need to stop now and speak out, approach us, and offer to assist in giving us evidence. Otherwise, I can't promise you that further down the line, when all of those who have collaborated with this genocidal government policy, when all of those people are held to account as collaborators, I can't promise you that the people won't demand the most harsh of penalties if you're found guilty so i'm I'm asking you from the bottom of my heart for everybody's children stop taking part in this now speak out now don't forever hold your peace speak out before it's too late because we're coming for them all
1: so at the end of the video we'll give all the all your details but just for now in case people don't have time to listen to more than this can you give them the contact that they should write to email or whatever to to register what's going on
0: uh, well unfortunately i get so many thousands of emails that it's very difficult for me to keep on top of mine at all uh, so basically what i'm saying is that there are there are many social media contact points to get to either myself or Mark Oakford or David Lately or to a UCT trustee. And the best way to do that is if you simply subscribe to the Bernician website and you, and you once you get uh, your subscription confirmed, if you then reply to the email that you've received from the site, reply placing in the subject header in, in all caps, Um, Evidence for PCP, if you place that in the subject header, it will be found and we'll get back to you as soon as possible, if you want to use a different means of getting in contact you can go on Telegram and look up the universal Community trust or UCT on Telegram and you can join one of the groups and ask a trustee to assist you in submitting whatever you have to the case. Or you can go on Facebook or Twitter and you can follow me or Mark Oakford or David Lady and you can try and reach us via a DM or private message. Um, And if you cover all of those bases, there's a very good chance that somebody will get in contact with you. And if within a week you haven't heard back from any of us, then feel free to send a, a reminder if we've missed it somehow.
1: You mentioned some initials PCP, I think, a minute ago. What's that?
0: Private Criminal Prosecution.
1: All oh, right. OK. Yeah. So w- would this be an appropriate moment to talk about the Universal Community Trust?
0: Yes, I think it would. So where do you want me to start, Guy?
1: Well, I remember you know, listening to you on a two-day course. Uh, you know, I think you mentioned probably 2011 where you were talking about this. So it's, it's not a new idea, but it's very, very attractive. And most people probably haven't heard of it. So perhaps you could explain the basis of how, how we, we get our sovereignty back and you know, what the trust really is.
0: Okay. So I, I sat down with my wife uh, when she was pregnant with our daughter, who's now 11 and I said to her, there's a whole list of things that I don't want to subject our child to. And she had the same list. And the list included, we didn't want to register her name into a system that would guarantee she was assumed to be a taxpayer into a system that we knew was a criminal system that was using gotten gains to slaughter other people's children on foreign shores and because of this I devised a process um, which declared that we as parents were endowed with unalienable god-given superior guardianship rights over our child and we were going to refuse to give any information pertaining to the birth of our child to the Registrar of Births and Deaths when they came chasing us for the application for a birth certificate. And this began, of course, as everyone knows it, it, it began uh, when my wife hadn't even recovered from a C-section. You know, they, they brought the bloody form and I'm saying, no, no, you won't be, you won't be um, requiring any of this. And I took it away and I, I got rid of it. And um, then they started chasing and within a few months it didn't really take that much but no one had ever done it before um so there was a little bit of resistance from the registrar uh, and his solicitor but in the end after threatening to um issue legal proceedings against us and after we responded by saying yes if you if if we get the maximum fine imposed for refusing to register we will under protest and duress pay the fee which would be six pounds at the time i think it was it might have even been the And um, we never heard back from them. But the last thing they said was you won't get a passport. But we'd already put in an application for a passport. And when I rang up the passport office after they initially said that they couldn't process the application because she didn't have a, a birth certificate, I told them that she was entitled to a passport by the virtue of her British nationality alone. And that we had supplied them instead with a doctor's letter from a local GP confirming that she had been born at a certain time and place. And that was all they required to process the form. And she went and checked, came back and said, yep, you're absolutely right. Very sorry. And what transpired as a result of that, it took a few years. But as a result of that, there were so many people within the system who not only respected the position that we'd taken, they wanted to help other people do the same. And a couple, who, a couple of people who used to work for a council dealing with these type of issues started a charity, which is just for single um, women who are pregnant, and they want to just dispense with the obligation that they would only otherwise fulfill out of fear of not doing it, to help them do it with a, a process that they don't pay for, which is based on exactly what me and my wife did. So that was the first thing we, that we knew, and it, it had a serious consequence because the representative of the local government, the council, um, came around to do an inspection just to make sure, you know, we weren't doing anything, um, anything immoral or, any, or, or, or the like. And um, when she came around to visit, our two-year-old daughter opened the door to her and said, come in, Gillian, why don't you come in and have a cup of tea? we'll have it ready for you soon. And she grabbed by the hand and pulled her in. And from that moment, she was utterly charmed. She ticked all of her A1 boxes on her, on her sheet. And she describes the way we were bringing our daughter up as the future of, of parenting. And that even though they were all very concerned when we refused to register for one very obvious reason. And I said, why are you very concerned? We said, well, it raised financial issues. It meant that the Crown weren't going to pay the council for another birth, <laughs> exactly as we imagined would be the case, and, uh, but they also knew that there was no legal way that they could stop it. So, uh, we knew that that was a major victory, and we were winning the argument with, with people on the ground, and the next thing I had to do was stop HMRC chasing me for seven years worth of um, tax returns that I hadn't sent in, and um, I made a declaration basically revoking my uh, my registration as a taxpayer now that obviously brought on a fight with HMRC and their lawyers which lasted a little over six months a little more than the one with the registrar but in the end the head of legals at HMRC who was dealing with it had to concede that I had every right to cancel my registration as a taxpayer, especially because they couldn't prove that I'd ever consented to be registered as such, because they just assumed it through my registration. So instead of issuing the court proceedings that they threatened, they cancelled my um, tax ac- accounts, and they returned a rebate that I didn't know I was due for around about 140 quid. And when and that victory came just after my, my daughter was born, and It it was at the same time, I'd already uh, developed a remedy in 2019 that was discharging fraudulent credit cards um, in in the millions in this country, which became known as the three letter process. And uh, lots of people ripped it off and and, and charged people for it. But it was always available via my websites for free. And um, because of this. I ended up in a position where I thought, right, okay. so if I've successfully taken on the crown twice and won, if I've successfully taken on three credit card companies and won, the big issue for most people in this country, whether they know it or not, is that the edifice of the financial system in this country and right around the world, as dictated by the City of London, which is a euphemism for the Rothschild cartel, that the foundation of what they've built is fraud, but more specifically, mortgage fraud. If you take away the amount that they make from mortgage fraud from the major financial institutions in this country, they would all go bankrupt overnight because they don't have any other income except from fraud. And when I saw that that was the case, um, I met other people such as Mike Roderan, Tom Crawford and others, Um, who who were fighting against mortgage fraud both in and out of court and on the streets trying to stop unlawful evictions. And I got obviously very heavily involved in that from the beginning. And I ended up up fighting Bank of Scotland um, in the case that I was alluding to before. And I saw that the entire system, if it crumbled because we exposed the mortgage fraud, then we'd need something to replace it with. Otherwise there would be chaos, not anarchy. Anarchy isn't chaos. Chaos is when there is no structure or infrastructure to hold everything together. And everything is set up for those who are seeking ill-gotten gains at the expense of everybody who expends their sweat equity till the day they die for very little in return. Only to have most, if not everything that that they work for, stolen from them, sometimes including Their life itself. So I saw early on that we needed a new infrastructure. And I saw an interview from the 70s with an American intellectual called Buckminster Fuller. And he was talking about the only means by which a tyrannical system can be destroyed. And to paraphrase what he said, he said that you can't destroy a tyrannical government by violently opposing it they'll crush you they want you to rise up in violence so the only way you can actually make that system that they operate within completely obsolete is to build another advanced system that makes it obsolete because everybody wants to join it when the moment in time comes and we came to the moment in time during COVID-1984, but the foundations of UCT were laid in 2011 and 2012, because what I did was I created, I granted into existence a trust called the universal, um, the the, the, the community of of self-realization. And this was to bring together like-minded people who all wanted to find a way to start again, In other words, to be the the nation builders in new micro nations that we were going to declare as autonomous, independent and sovereign. On these shores and elsewhere, but we needed a legal mechanism by which or, or, or which we could use to hold it all together and to prevent any interference whatsoever from any government or institution. On the earth. And it was at this point that I saw once we brought together a hardcore team who became the UCT founders, I saw that what I needed to do was to create the type of international treaty that brings new independent sovereign nations into being, such as the the, the treaty or treaties that brought. the the new territory in the former Yugoslavian territory into existence and in many other other places throughout history. So I drafted a treaty to declare collectively, everybody who was ratified the treaty would declare upon signature that they were the founders of, of their independent, micro nations and there were initially 24 of them and then that that rose um to 26 and the the number i'm not sure how many there are now because there are so many more that have been formed um not just in this country but right around the world because the the word has spread thick and fast over the last two years to say the least but anyway before we come to that part of the story on the summer solstice 2012 Uh, The treaty that I drafted, I called it the Treaty of Universal Community Trust, and what it established when it was ratified on that day, on the summer solstice 2012, by those 26 founders of those sovereign micro nations. We created a jurisdiction within which we would operate and live our lives and build our communities, and that jurisdiction is also called the jurisdiction of Universal Community Trust. And what it allows is it not only allows, it facilitates the independent infrastructure of community being controlled from the ground up by the people, the, a new financial system to build that infrastructure, including its own currencies and its own marketplace that's separate from every other marketplace and that we would also need to acquire large pieces of land um, in order to build these new communities, but also to fill in the blanks within our infrastructure. For instance, we are currently in the process of acquiring agricultural land. We are also in the process of acquiring land that can be converted for other purposes, but nothing that is done by anybody who stands under the jurisdiction of Universal Community Trust, nothing that any of us do can contradict any of the terms of the UCT Treaty. And even though the terms are expressed in a lot of detail in both video and written form which anyone c- can read at the universal hyphen community hyphen trust dot Um, org website um, and also on my benician youtube channel and on the benician.net my blog you'll find it in those places as well and probably elsewhere to be honest Um, you'll see that the what is expressed within the treaty it boils down to one simple divine maxim of common law and that is do no harm cause no loss or take no shit from anybody and the, there really isn't anything else that anyone needs to know about the law because everything that is wrong can be about any offense can be expressed within that. Did it do harm? Did it cause loss? Did it cause injury? And if the answer to those questions is no, no crime has been committed or no offense has been committed and vice versa. So we've, we've set up the means by which under uct jurisdiction we have to not only replace their new financial system we have to replace their judicial system and we've already convened uh what we call a a sovereign grand jury which has presided three times under uct jurisdiction since 2014 and none of our judgments have, have even been challenged never mind opposed and they've all been upheld and it's that grand jury that convened right at the beginning of COVID 1984 and issued a, a, an independent unilateral declaration saying that there was enough evidence, prima facie evidence, to investigate the UK government for mass murder by government policy. And we've conducted this investigation that is, myself, David Leahy, a former CID a fraud investigator and murder investigator, and I, along with Um, A a Scouse polymath who's done such an incredible job on putting together years worth of work on data that should have taken a team of a dozen, at least a year to put together and and he's done it all himself. And um, along with a, a committed team behind the scenes, helping us and supporting us everywhere within and outside of UCT, and a lot of other people who are now joining forces together. We're standing on the front line. And we've drawn a line in the sand for the UK government and all the governments around the world. Universal Community Trust is not for governments, it's not for NGOs, it is a true non-governmental organization because it's the only government-free natural law jurisdiction in existence. It exists just for the free indigenous, sovereign, independent peoples of this world, and anybody anywhere can stand under the protection of the UCT treaty, and more and more of us are doing this every single day. Under the protection of that jurisdiction, there is an international task force that has come together That is working with people who we can't disclose at this particular juncture, but so far they have an unblemished record in fighting the same kind of adversaries we are already engaged in fighting. And the message that we've got for all of our adversaries is you blew it, you gave us far too much evidence far too quickly and there's far too many of us who know what to do with that evidence for you to get away with this. And if everybody listening hasn't already noticed that it's all coming apart at this, uh, coming apart at the, the, sorry, if everybody listening hasn't already noticed that the official narrative is coming apart at the seams, I'd be very surprised. But those of you who haven't, just go back and look at what has happened since July the 19th in this country, in Britain. Go and look at what has happened. First and foremost, you will see that when Boris Johnson was expected to declare another unlawful, tyrannical, genocidal lockdown, he didn't. On the 19th of July, everything was about consent. And despite the fact that every single time everyone's being convinced and the media is being hyped up, that he was going to do it again, he didn't. He's not doing it because he's a bloody good bloke. He's doing it because he was the one we put on notice right at the beginning. If you do anything to assist this, you will be held accountable. But if if you are seen to do whatever you can do to put this shit to an end, when it comes down to it, you'll be asked to turn Queen's evidence and spill the beans on not just the people that you know for a fact, have been behind this genocide but on the puppet masters in the city of london now if boris johnson is willing to do that clive then we'll have evidence on everybody involved at a private fashion level and we can make sure that everyone who's got it coming sees justice done however if he doesn't if he won't play ball because there's a gun to his head or whatever the reason he will, like all the others who are in the growing list of defendants in the Madazalam murders case, will have nowhere to hide.
1: What sort of time frame do you think we're looking at here for things to change?
0: The, um, the Met Police and the court where our private criminal prosecution has been laid have, been, have both been in contact and... We're in the final stages of them making their assessment of what it is exactly that we've given them uh, and what it is that we can proceed to give them from here. Now, if, as we expect, because of all the noises that are being made behind the scenes, if, as we expect, the PCP, the private criminal prosecution, moves forward and the warrants that we're seeking are issued or even just summonses for the defendants that we've named, If that happens, it'll be almost certain that the Met Police will have, if they haven't already decided that they're gonna proceed uh, by adducing all of the evidence of Medazalan murder that we've got for them as a direct response to COVID by the government. If they they haven't already decided to do that, I'm pretty certain that when the PCP moves forward, not if, when it moves forward, they'll have no choice. However, the fact is, it does appear and i can't say too much about it but the communications that i've received so far have been nothing more than or nothing less than an indication that it at least on the surface it appears like the investigation is moving forward in the way that we would intended it to so until i know anything different clive i'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt i
1: mean the the corruption is so deep uh, could they just not hold it up forever
0: the reason why they can't hold it up forever is because um we are only prepared to wait for a certain amount of time I'm not going to say how long that is but a reasonable amount of time it, 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 under under their procedures a reasonable amount of time is a very short period a matter of weeks so we've already been waiting a matter of weeks and there's maybe a couple more weeks that we'll wait Uh, before we attempt to apply any kind of pressure for it to move forward. However, when we do, we'll make it plainly obvious to whoever we're dealing with that this moves forward one way or another, because it isn't. Let's just say it's not just at one court where we have this evidence. So it's moving forward one way or another. I do do apologise, that's my Jack Jack Russell Tyke. He's probably barking because there's Ah. someone at the door. So we'll have to press pause. I'll be back in a second. Sorry about that. We'll have to cut that out, but it's, it's inevitable when someone comes to the door. Yeah, no worries. It's the roofers as well. They were early, unfortunately. <laughs> um. Okay. So, where were we? Are you still there? We
1: were talking about the oh, yeah. time frame of things moving forward. Yes. And
0: That's the cool. last, the last thing I said was about, um. Yes, about how soon it was going to progress. So just to answer, to answer that question in the most realistic way, I would say that if a month from now, or sorry, if by the 22nd of the 2nd, 22, we haven't had progress that is appropriate given what we've presented, we will use one of the many contingencies that we have in place. But just so that people understand that what I'm saying is of the most grave importance imaginable, because of the single, the single fact that we as in the PCP team had moved things forward in this country to the point where we were ready to file proceedings. Because of this, I've been approached by a number of very influential, very successful and very intelligent people who have woken up from within the system and they want to work with me and with UCT to put things right, because they can see the same thing that many other people are saying, you know, from the ground up that, look, we need something else. And it takes a long time to build the type of something else that we need, only UCT, as in the founders of UCT and the trustees that have joined us since, started building what we need more than a decade ago. And the reason why, we saw it in advance of everybody else or the vast majority, because there were others who saw the same problems as us, but they weren't looking to form the solutions. They were just looking to spread the information about the problems, which has it certainly has its place. But what we've done in effect is we've created the very infrastructure that our adversaries didn't believe was possible. We've created something that exists just as much as anything that they claim exists within their system, but they have no way of claiming jurisdiction or control over it because it exists in the same domain. Sorry, that's my dog heckling me again. Tyke, I'm sorry, you've got to stop that. Sorry. Tyke, shut up. That's it. So we've got quite a few edits to make. Um, It exists in a jurisdiction where the Grand Jury exists, beyond government interference. It, and the reason it exists there is because the Grand Jury, when it was originally formed, it was formed as something called a, a convention of the people. And th- this, were, this dates back to the 4th century BC when a king called Divinwal Malmud created something called what was later called the Malmoutine Laws. Now, the Malmoutine Laws are what formed the bedrock of what became the common law and the common law is simply a version of the divine maxim it's it's do no harm so but it's just a shorter version and um the the point i'm making is that we saw that for us to be able to 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 do everything the the people forming new sovereign independent nations needs to do we actually had to provide ourselves with absolutely every part of it so that there's no claim can be made from any other national jurisdiction. So for that reason, we have created two currencies, UCT token and UCT cash. UCT token um, can be used pretty much anywhere where you can use any other cryptocurrency to acquire or the cryptocurrency and it will one day in the near future be spendable on a card that you can use anywhere you say take cash is unique because that's the official currency of universal community trust that can also be used in a cash form and will always be used in a cash form whenever necessary and appropriate now the reason why these two cryptocurrencies which have been initially built on the Ethereum blockchain and then migrated to the Polygon network, the Matic network. Um, These two currencies are unique in more than one way, but the, the most striking way is that they're both not dependent upon swaps, upon sales, upon market activity. Both of them are created from paper commercial assets. UCT token is created from something called a lien. Now a lien you can think of in the same way uh, or a similar way to uh, a mortgage deed where it it basically imposes a significant debt upon a party who has committed wrongdoing against the other party, but the, the beauty of a commercial lien process is that it's entirely non-judicial under common law. In other words, it doesn't require a judge to give it authority or legality. It's just as enforceable as any order of any legitimate court, but it's just a completed process rather than an order. Now these liens are once they're perfected, which takes 90 days to go through the process. And again, that process you can look it up the 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 lien process or 101 mortgage fraud, commercial liens, look up any variation of of, of that um, at the benician.net and you'll find what I'm alluding to, the entire process. I think there's two processes there. And um, at the end of that process, at the end of the 90 days, those liens are exchanged for UCT token in the exact amount that's ledgered in the liens. And the liens at the moment are all ledgered in pounds, so you get the equivalent in UCT tokens that's ledgered in pounds in the liens. Now at the moment, UCT token and UCT cash have both established themselves at the $24 mark in the markets. They fluctuate slightly either way as all crypto does on the markets. But if you go to coin paprika um, exchange online, you will be able to see the. UCT cash and UCT token, which is otherwise known as Universal Community Trust. If you put that into the search engine, you will you will see that both tokens are and have been for a considerable uh, amount of time uh, lodged at around the $24 mark. Um, and this is because what we've done without getting too technical for those of you who don't know anything about crypto, what we've done is we've created two, Stable currencies, or stable coins, as they're known as. Now, stable coins perform a very important function in crypto markets. They provide stability for a very uh, volatile market. So, in other words, we've given the marketplace two uh, two cryptocurrencies, both of which are backed by commercial paper. I didn't say what the second commercial paper was. UCT Cash is backed by promissory notes. And promissory notes make up the largest part of what exists in the debt-based system, and we call money. It's mainly made up of some form of promissory notes, even if they're electronic now. But UCT Cash is created by someone creating their own promissory note to create that line of credit for a specific purpose that they write down in their application for the credit to the UCT Treasury. And this is already happening, but it's just started. So I can't say it's been happening for long. We've already exchanged one lien, and that was a lien that I had against Bank of Scotland and its receivers that was exchanged for a considerable amount, which was used to seed the market with the UCT Treasury. But we're on the brink of exchanging UCT token for uh, liens, which amount to a sum that the last count, which is over 14, 14 billion pounds worth of liens. So that 14 billion pounds worth of liens will very soon um, be placed in the marketplace. And when that happens, what you will see um, is probably a significant rise in the price of both tokens, but it will. Whatever else happens, even if there is a fluctuation upwards, it will go north. When it comes south, it won't go more than a few cents below the $24 mark. The reason we know this is because we've been testing those very issues for months to make sure that by the time we were ready to go public, And launch it, and because we're not at the launch date yet, we're still ironing out a few minor technicalities with the exchanges, but we're getting very close to launch date, and it's very soon, is all I can say, because we haven't we haven't actually set the date, so I can't tell you, but soon, very soon. Now, that's the currency or the two currencies uh, that we've created for the UCT marketplace. The UCT marketplace is currently being formed, businesses. Are starting to trade in UCT currencies now. It's only in an embryonic form at the moment, but anyone who's got UCT in a MetaMask br- wallet, br- sorry, in a MetaMask browser wallet, anyone who's got UCT will be able to use it either to exchange for other tokens or even to exchange. Um, if you're on the right exchange, you'll be able to exchange it for cash some of the time, but once you've got a a wallet and you're able to use it, you will be able to pay for anything that's in the UK, the, the UCT marketplace with the UCT currencies, paying in the UCT currency to another UCT currency wallet that's selling you the product or service. Now, as I say, this is in, we're in the embryonic stages of doing that, but in essence, what I'm saying to businesses out there is UCT companies will still have the ability to operate as limited liability companies, but they'd all be able to create their own lines of credit without incurring any debt to pay their operational costs. And we'll incentivize them by giving, and this is to everybody, everybody who comes into the UCT marketplace and starts using our currencies will be given very regular and very generous rewards for taking part and helping us build this new system because we need it, we absolutely need it. Now, if you imagine this, Clive, if everybody that you pay money to every month was doing it in the UCT network and marketplace, there'd be no taxable event created anyway, so it's tax exempt, it's peer to peer, so it's secure. There's nobody in the middle robbing your data, it's it's just between you and the other party. And taking off all of the takeoffs that everyone has to suffer from governments all over the world and other agencies who become third-party interlopers, take all of that away, and you can see how we're incentivizing businesses to start doing business under UCT jurisdiction. And it's as simple as drawing up or redrawing up your articles of association with a simple declaration of an amendment that having had a meeting of the directors you are declaring that you are striking out from the original articles all references to UK law and you are operating solely under the jurisdiction in a limited capacity in the same way as before in that respect but you are operating under the jurisdiction of universal community trust and there's nothing legally they can do to stop that happening. Nothing. And if everybody did it, they're finished. All right. I'm sorry, I've got to stop again. There's someone at the door. I've got to I've got to speak to them. Sorry, Clive. Hey. por I'm sorry it was the dog barking at the roofer on the roof it wasn't a knock at the door no worries i'm sorry for this there's nothing i can do about it this is what my life's like
1: it's it's all right editing's easy
0: good i'm glad now i can't remember what i was saying and i hate i hate i hate getting heckled by interruptions when i'm in full flow
1: well um you know, what it seemed to be coming to was a bit like you know when the introduction of cryptocurrency started uh, at the beginning. You know, I, I felt, wow, this is just fantastic because we can change currencies on governments, and governments won't be able to play the game, and they won't be able to pay anybody anymore. All we've got to do is sort of uh, just just switch currencies. How easy is that? But I've been disappointed really that the whole cryptocurrency thing hasn't taken off in in a, in a larger perspective yes there's the tor tor browser and one can uh, buy things some things using crypto you know is it realistic that we, there's an that that this sort of currency idea can actually take off big time and you know will people get to hear about it is it possible to really spread the message and, and make this change before you know totalitarianism is completed
0: yes it is and that because that's what we're doing there's your answer. It's as simple as that. We're already doing it. But it's not just me and a few others. We're numbering now thousands and spreading across the world. But most of those thousands are, he- are already here, Clive. And they're already joining one of the sovereign micro-nations that we formed back in 2012 and that have been formed since then. The reason why it's, it, people are struck with cognitive dissonance as to how, you know, we could possibly pull off replacing their currencies with our own that are tax exempt and free from their interference. And the only reason that people have cognitive dissonance is because it's never been done. Not like this. So I understand the the, the reticence to, or rather the proclivity towards skepticism. I I understand and I, I fully appreciate it. I would only add that that's always what happens when you're at the beginning of something new because something new doesn't happen because everyone all agrees at the same time, absolutely that must happen. It happens because of a small group, a small band of committed people deciding something needs to happen and it's bloody well gonna happen because they're gonna do it. Now, it wouldn't work. Our currencies wouldn't work. They'd have no hope of taking over, were it not for two things. The first thing is that we are the only government-free jurisdiction where currencies can be spent. There you go. That's enough to attract not just people to our crypto, it's enough to attract the entire crypto market by the time we're through. So it's the only way you can guarantee you're going to be completely private and secure, that you're not going to be taxed, you're not going to be regulated. And people might say, oh, but how do you know that? Well, let's look at it from my own personal perspective. I haven't had a single missive from HMRC except in error that was corrected by them upon me pointing it out. I haven't had a single missive apart from that one from HMRC, not one. They're not coming after me for tax. Why? Because I declared that I was sovereign, independent, and I wasn't going to do what I was told, because they didn't have the jurisdiction to enforce it. As long as I'm not taking anything from them, they can't take anything from me. And then people might say, oh, but they pay for the roads. Do they, do they pay for the roads? Or do they make you pay for the roads and then charge you on top of that and then rip you off every single chance that they get? That's what they do. But the roads, we have no choice but to use if we want to go anywhere. In other words, they have to be public. And they used to be known, along with most of the land in this country that has been hoovered up by the crown, totally unlawfully over the last thousand years, most of it was held in common, it was called the commons, as I already know you know. So what we're doing within UCT, people say, well, where, did, where does UCT exist? So, we, so let's just say we wanna spend your currency and we, we wanna tell everyone we know in our community, just use this currency, let's see if how it works out. And let's see if we're better off at the end of one month. I can guarantee you, you get everyone in the village or the town or the city to use your UCT currencies only, In every transaction you organize that wherever you are and i promise you the percentage increase of of financial benefit to your life will be way above 25 percent way above sometimes above 50 depending on how much you're being ripped off every month but if we also factor in that what's another incentive for people to come and enjoy and utilize uct's abundance of remedies which don't exist anywhere else Another reason is because if you, like most people, have a claim against one of the pirates and mercenaries that's making money from these genocidal government policies or even just a bank or credit card company that's ripping you off, you know they are, well, we have a remedy for you. It's, it's a commercial lean remedy, as I've already alluded to, and if you follow that process, you can make a claim against those who've ripped you off, whatever the type of claim is, as long as they're done wrong to you. You can engage in this process and then you can swap the perfected lien at the end of 90 days for UCT tokens. And if those UCT tokens can be spent anywhere within the community, within the community that you live in, that's really all you need to do to replace their system. That's it. It's without trade and without control of credit and money, they've got no power. And when I say they, I'm talking about the cartel. They've got nothing to control the puppets with, except vice. And vice wouldn't be possible without the other things.
1: In my local village, I can't even convince anybody that masks don't work, let alone for them (laughs) to consider changing a currency.
0: Yes, but dangle the golden carrot of you'll be financially better off if you do this and, and worse off if you don't. When you dangle that carrot or when people get so desperate that they're looking for a remedy, and they, they can't find one in that system, that's when they stumble across UCT, and that's where they start to find the remedies. This is, this is what I'm saying. Well, but the, the other reason why the currencies are, are separate, Clive, and this is what gives it an edge, or gives them an edge above the rest, is UCT Treasury is the only party in the entire crypto market that has already invested, locked-in liquidity, which isn't yet showing because the tokens aren't properly listed yet, but we've already locked in in excess of the full value of the worldwide crypto market. We've already locked in in excess of that value in UCT tokens to guarantee that, the, that the both, both currencies remain stable and liquid. And nobody else has done this.
1: I remember you talking about using promissory notes so many years ago, and it is a brilliant way to put backing behind it because nobody has actually has to put up any money as such, but promissory notes are very powerful instruments, clearly.
0: They are, yes, they are. And bearing in mind that we, we, we know, because they approached me, um, a merchant bank has been set up to to basically give discounted, Prices They were offering 25% on any lien that had followed my process, call it the mob process. Now, this has already been looked at by a guy that they call the brain of the city of London, who happens to work with one of the oldest friends of someone I work with. And they asked to see the process. And their assessment of it was that in the event that these liens were exchangeable for real currency, that could be spent one way or another or multiple ways that the lean process was enough to bring down the city of London cartel, because he says he represents probably 95% of city of London investors. He's got books of thousands and thousands. And he says 95% of them, including him have been ripped off by a protected individual company from within the cartel. So what I'm saying is there is, there's, a will among certain members of the establishment to assist us in bringing this down. But but this has only occurred because they've recognized the value in what UCT is standing for and about what the currencies being, the first credit-based currencies in existence, what they would do in, in such a positive way, in a myriad of positive ways in everybody's life. Because what we're talking about is, in essence, and this, this is fundamental to UCT, to understand UCT and what it's about, you have to understand that we want to take away the necessity of doing anything solely for the money. We want to make the motivation or help facilitate a situation where everybody, of any age can choose to do something with their life for the benefit of others, no matter what it is, as long as it doesn't cause harm, they can do that. And we don't see why mankind should remain the only creature on the earth that pays for its very existence. So we wanna take the control that's, that's been in the hands of the banksters for thousands of years debt-based system set up deliberately to fail and make sure no one is ever affluent except the ones they handpick. Uh, we want to create the opposite of that, where the control of credit is in the hands of the individual and all they have to do is abide by the rules, which are simple to understand. Don't do anything with the money that breaches the terms of the treaty, like, you know, we're, we're not, we're not going to allow anyone to go and buy six tonnes of Charlie and go, and go and sell it in South End. We're not going to allow anyone to do that. That would be causing harm, etc. But at the same time, we're not going to say that a plant that is capable of growing in any, in any area of the world, we're not going to say that that is anything other than something put here by the creator, which no one can criminalize. So, so there, are, there are a myriad of ways in which we can look at it, but from every single angle, It's about the individual taking responsibility for their own life and putting things right within their family, within their community, so their family is protected um, in terms of property, but also in terms of legal protections under a trust system, which works very simply. Every family or every individual, if they haven't got a family, lives under the protection of a private family or private living trust which is the the, it's the first layer of protection and what this means is if any party makes a claim against any of the beneficiaries to that trust then the trust can act in the name of the beneficiaries as and when appropriate and it's much harder for them to get away with the usual legal person bullshit that they get away with you know with council tax and parking tickets and all the rest of it and um the second layer of trust is called the sovereign community trust now that is the name or it's the name of the sovereign community trust is the name of the micro nation that's being formed under uct jurisdiction and that protects all of the family trusts and living trusts that are all beneficiaries of the sovereign community trust and each sovereign community trust is a benef- is a beneficiary of universal community trust which is the grand umbrella trust covers it all no matter where you are and it doesn't require a location to have jurisdiction in other words in exactly the same way that you would have jurisdiction over your own home to do with what you will as long as you don't break the law it's exactly the same when you're talking about creating a jurisdiction to exist within and how can i say this because the eu created jurisdiction for itself to ex- and its member states to exist within. They didn't do it very well, which is why people are leaving. And, and why, but of course, it was set up to fail. It's a different conversation. But let's look at a better example, even though they're just as bad. Um, the UN created its own jurisdiction. So it could issue declarations and conventions and treaties, et cetera. But also think of it this way, David Rockefeller granted the UN building in New York to the UN, it was a gift so they could create their own jurisdiction. So in other words, Julian Assange, if he was on the premises of the UN building in New York, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be able to arrest him, Never mind extradite him. That, that's how strong the legal argument for jurisdiction is when you've done it correctly. And that's the situation that we're in with UCT. Now think of it this way, Clive, we, 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 we served all of our paperwork on the Queen, on the Treaty Office at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and on the Secretary of State to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office in uh, the summer of 2012. And that's, we served the treaty on all those parties. And we made it very public. So, you know, there was no way people could say that it, it didn't happen. And we recorded it all as well for posterity. And six months later, we sent them a copy of our memorandum of understanding, which is an agreement that arises from one party's acquiescence to terms of any form of agreement now under international law if you serve a treaty on the representatives called the plenipotentiaries of a nation state they have six months to to lodge a legal objection but if the terms of that treaty have a direct impact upon that nation state and of course we were saying this is what we're going to do within what you call your nation state, and we're saying it's within our, within, within our micro nation states. And they didn't object to it because it was watertight legally. And they had six months to object to it. And when we issued that memorandum, we laid out the terms of what the Crown agreed to at the time. And remember 2012, they agreed to this, agreed to this. And that is that the trustees of UCT, under the protection of the treaty, would do everything that was required to end every form of genocide and fraud and terrorism done by government and other parties worldwide. That it's the protective jurisdiction under which we can do all of our business and all we've got to do is transfer from one jurisdiction to another. It's very simple. And if you go to universal-community-trust.org, you will see that you can join UCT, you can start the process of joining. There's an automated series of emails that you'll get. I think there are nine or 11 in the process. They'll, they'll lead you through the process of joining. But even if you just want to find out more, there's plenty of material for you, for you uh, to digest. And what I'm saying to you is, this isn't a rule. You don't have to join UCT to support me or the PCP or even the things that we're standing for. What I'm, what I'm saying to you is, That UCT is currently the only properly developed infrastructure that is ready and waiting and purposely built for the purposes of replacing this corrupt, crumbling system of ill-gotten gains, persecution and genocide.
1: So have you got some big names behind you you know like famous people who could when it's ready uh, present this to the world?
0: Yes Uh, and I can't I'm not going to name names and put pressure on them but they know who they are and their number is growing every day. Um, There there are a significant number who've been following and sharing my work since the beginning of COVID-1984 who didn't know about me before. And there are some who did and have been following me for longer than I knew for a long time. And I didn't know about it until recently now, but it's not just those people. We're talking about high profile doctors, lawyers, barristers, academics of all descriptions, writers, singers, songwriters, producers, filmmakers, Uh, And and ordinary people from when I say ordinary, I'm talking about the people that you can rely on when times like these come, the people from working class communities who always are willing to give more than they ever receive if they know it's the right thing. All the good men and women, finally, they're stepping forward because just in case anyone listening doesn't already know that even though the government claims there are 5 million unvaccinated people in this country and they're blaming us for all the problems the real reason is they're so desperate that we're onto them because the real number of unvaxxed never had a single shot is 23 and a half million according to the office of national statistics and if you factor in those that the government in accordance with the new definition of vaccinated the ones that they've added on to that number take it to 35 million so if 35 million are unvaxxed in this country who's in charge the unvaxxed well the I outcome think,
1: yeah. i wish more people knew uh, that number uh, because um, uh it's super important that people un- understand there's way more kickback than is apparent
0: Yes, there's there's no doubt about that whatsoever.
1: So to put um, things in perspective, would it be appropriate f- for you to talk very briefly uh, about mortgages and, and the success that you've had there?
0: Yes, of course, um, the, 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 be- the best way for anyone to understand um, what I've come to learn from my experience battling Bank of Scotland um, in a case that was that, that was called Bank of Scotland v War and others and that's War WAUGH. Um, basically I spent nine years alleging mortgage fraud against Bank of Scotland. I had multiple cases thrown out as totally without merit by judges who were on the payroll of the bank, shall we say? Um, we that we had lies told by multiple executive law firms and barristers again and again one of whom became a QC as a reward for appearing against me in the high court on my first time in the high court and convincing the judge when it's when it's easy to convince a judge when you're someone like him who gets paid as much money as he as he did for that occasion it was very easy for to convince the judge that I was wrong and the judge later admitted that He'd he'd realized that he was wrong and I was right, and that the the mortgages were all fraudulent and the contracts were void. And I said, Well, why the hell didn't you say that in court? Why didn't you go and knock out your own verdict? And he said, Well, let's just say that that wasn't under my control. In other words, he was asked to take early retirement when I was asking him and the court to do exactly that. And they wheeled. A judge in called Norris, who was one of still is one of the highest ranking civil judges. And we call him a hitman. He's a judicial hitman. And he completely unlawfully um, made me liable for the costs, the unlawful costs in the case. And he banned me. He was the one who banned me from the courts for two years. And what we were arguing quite simply was this very, very simple from the beginning to the end. There is no contract containing all of the terms and conditions and the signature of the supposed borrower and the supposed lender, which under a statute under specifically section two of the law of property miscellaneous provisions act 1989 renders a mortgage void in the absence of that valid contract. secondly. That in the absence of a signature witnessing uh, a mortgage signature and that is it has to be uh, 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 witnessing the signature at the moment of signature it can't be added in a different place at a different time of the signature in the absence of the witnesses signatures on a mortgage deed that mortgage is void under section one of the law of property miscellaneous miscellaneous provisions act 1989 so we were arguing that from the very beginning. We were arguing that those arguments, even before we realized that there was a statute making exactly the same arguments. So we had them from the beginning. And yet it took for four years, it took four years um, uh, uh, during that ban um, against me going into any UK court for any reason whatsoever, a civil restraint order. Um, my father went in arguing what I'd rehearsed him to say again and again. This piece of paper, as he was holding the the deed in the air, this piece of paper is a void deed because it hasn't got a space for signatures, let alone signatures of the witnesses. And this piece of paper, which was the contract, doesn't have a signature where the bank's name is written in type for the signature to, 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 to be placed underneath and that didn't happen. So I was there at the time. No one else in this court was there at the time. So none of you have first-hand knowledge of, of the facts, including you to the judge, which means there is no mortgage and, the, and the, 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 the claim by the bank for two and a half million is fraudulent, as we've been alleging from the beginning. Now, because right up until that point, no judge had even admitted. That the 1989 statute applied to mortgages. They all said that that was rubbish. Even Lord Justice Lloyd, in our appeal of the initial miscarriage of justice, he said the 1989 Act didn't apply to mortgages in his judgment. Needless to say, we forced him in early retirement as well. Shortly afterwards, when we made it public about, and he was humiliated, so he he took he took an early bath. And um, we, when we got to the point where Judge Behrens, who was the the particular judge that my dad had to face with that argument, we got Judge Behrens in a corner where the only way that he could give the bank a chance to resurrect their fraudulent claim was to admit that the 1989 Act did apply, even though every judge had said it didn't before him, he said that it did which is, is, of course, exactly what we wanted him to do. What he did with it isn't what we wanted him to do. What he did with it was create another fraudulent mortgage and have it registered at the land registry, even though the land registry had told us already that they admitted that we'd shown them enough evidence to prove that all of the mortgages that the bank had had over all the properties were fraudulent, and we'd proven it. But this judgment stopped the land registry from cancelling all of those fraudulent entries in the register. And that resulted in nine properties being fire sold for an average of 32% of their value. The losses are massive. But right at the beginning, to claim back what I perceived to be my personal losses, because me and my sister are are beneficiaries to to our parents' trust. And at the time the claims started, or rather at the time... When when the Bank of Scotland account was opened by the trust, or rather the trustees, the trust had two and a half million pounds worth of um, property, all of which was debt free, no borrowings. And obviously that was the amount they were seeking, seeking to steal. And seven years later, they come after the trustees for that amount, and that's how the case kicked off. So I said right over that seven-year period. So it started off being having a value of two and a half million, and I calculated that over the appreciation of value over that seven-year period meant that it was two hundred and it was two point seven, or rather, um, what was it? It was twenty point seven million. Was it twenty point seven? Maybe I've got that wrong. Anyway, I worked out what the amount was, Clive. Let's 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 leave it at that. I worked out what the amount due was in damages to, to, to account for my losses. And I served a lien on the CEO of the bank at the time when the account was opened, who was responsible for all the policy, James Crosby. And when I served this lien on him is the lawyer who I eventually forced into emigration after exposing her as a fraudster in open court. She basically uh, was the one who was drafted in to take me down and make me bankrupt. She was head of insolvency at the company. That she worked for I mean that's she shouldn't have even been anywhere near it It was to take me down because he, Crosby was so angry that I'd served a lien on him but when I went in an ex parte hearing and that means when I went before a judge without the other party being there shortly after the first hearing a judge who was a QC called uh, K he said after reading the lien that I'd served on Crosby that it was Potentially the most powerful legal document that he'd ever read on the basis that if I could prove the allegations, it wouldn't require a court order to enforce it. And of course, that's what that's why Crosby was very angry and and very scared that I might one day be able to enforce it. So he's trying to stop me. Well, nine years later, the land registry write to Bank of Scotland upon our request with a requisition that they cancel. The last remaining mortgage over my sister's house, the last one left, my parents had already been saved because they didn't actually issue a mortgage over my parents' house, and they thought they had. That was a lucky escape, to say the least. But, the, uh, but it was still threatening to take it all the way through, well, until the last two years. But my sister, was, uh, who's got two young kids, she was in danger of, of being evicted until February 2019. Sorry, February 2000, and yes, it was 2019, when um, Crosby begged the Lloyds board to settle my claim against him. And they employed the group complaints manager to chase me. And they chased me for a number of weeks, and I never once responded. But what they were offering me was this. They would pay up the full damages on the claim, which by that time, over the nine-year period, he'd, he'd incurred exemplary damages which is where you punish them with an amount that's way above the amount that they started off owing you and they could have settled and they refused to so the amount had escalated to 207 million I was claiming from him from him and he the group complaints manager was offering to pay that in full if I kept my mouth shut and signed a non-disclosure agreement agreeing that I would never prosecute the bank in the private criminal prosecution against Crosby and the receivers he employed to steal my family's property, which was already running um, as of July 2013 and still is, by the way, there's a stay on it, but it will move forward at a certain point in the near future. Bearing in mind, I've got quite a bit on my plate, so I'll focus on that first. But the outcome was the chairman of Lloyd Tesario He instructed their legal department to cancel the charge over my sister's house. And that was it. It was gone. They canceled it in February, 2019. As soon as that happened, um, I told Crosby that that I was going to exchange the lien for cryptocurrency, which is exactly what I did. So what founded the UCT currencies was my lien over one of the Dirtiest, most unscrupulous, thieving bastards who's ever worn a shirt and tie on these shores
1: Wow. And, and, and how much was your sister's mortgage written down by?
0: Um, it would be 163,000.
1: Oh, that's quite a result then.
0: But they, they wrote down two and a half million against uh, my parents' estates.
1: Wow. Yeah. Have many people been brave enough to follow your lead and do it themselves since then?
0: They have, yes. We've got a team called the Bankster Busters together. We've been working together for getting on for three years now. And they, they, it's not just a team of activists with frontline experience. So we're, we're one of our number who I'm working with in, in the private criminal prosecution as well. Dave Leighton, he's, he's probably the most respected, definitely the most respected. Um, I, I, you know, of all of the CID detectives who've left the force. He, ha- he has a reputation uh, before he left the force as being an impeccable detective, but also since he left as a private investigator, he's, he's recovered more than 200 million in ill-gotten gains from the Eastern European mafia in property frauds. That's how, that's how uh, bullish uh, uh, and determined he is to win. And what, since we started working together, We've made massive strides. There are people on the inside of the establishment have been contacting us, letting us know that it's not just the people who have been ripped off by the same cartel. It's people within the system as well, and they're, they're sick of it. They've had enough. And um, we, we, together, with the rest of the Bankster busters, we've been assisting people from all walks of life, from all classes. Um, we've been assisting them with their claims, and everybody thus far who we've been assisting, who's done exactly what they needed to do every step of the way, has held on to their property. And most, if not all, most are still fighting, but there are some that have gone years without even receiving a threat of their property being taken. And there are others who've won in the county court. They've had mortgage possession claims overturned, simply asking them for the documents that we proved in our case were necessary to justify a mortgage possession claim. So yes, in so short. When,
1: you know, let's say somebody listening to this, they say, well, I, I've got the time to put, put into this. What, what, what's your advice to somebody who, who, who would like to fight this? Is, is, should they do it? Is it, you know, what do you, what do you recommend?
0: First of all, um, if you go to the benefician.net and look in the sidebar um, on one of, in one of the chapters that you, you'll see in the, in the file menu just click on one of the chapters, and you'll see some, or any of the, the any of my posts, you'll see a sidebar, and um, in that sidebar you'll see links, including a link to um, the Great British Mortgage Swindle, where you can watch it on Amazon Prime. Or you can go to the Great British Mortgage Swindle website and get some links from there. That's the net. Watch the film first. That's the first step. Then watch it again. Then when you've seen it twice, watch it a third time. When you've seen it a third time. Then, basically, you should reach out to one of the bank's buses. And again, through the contact details as I said before, you can get to us through the same channels. And you can just ask for assistance, put it in the subject header, header seeking assistance with fraudulent mortgage, and you, you will get a response as, as soon as we're able. Now, don't think that there's a whole massive team of us doing this as, as a hardcore team, but our numbers are growing Every week. So, what I'm saying to you is if you're in that position and you contact us, what we'll facilitate for you is you'll have to put in all the effort, but we will mentor you through the process and we will teach you to do it yourself and to mentor others. We'll also offer you the chance to join our class action to cancel every single fraudulent mortgage in the land registry. And there are 11.2 million of those. And we've already started an action against the chief land registrar. And we've told them, if you don't cancel these fraudulent mortgages and they carry on evicting people over them, we're coming after you in the criminal court as well.
1: So I must say, I was very impressed with with your film, The Great British Mortgage Swindle. Very, very interesting and insightful. Um, Thank you. My understanding is that even with income tax we're paying it by consent um if somebody was of the feeling that you know that well the government are doing everything against us not for us at the moment and paying tax is actually morally and ethically wrong um how how reasonable is it that somebody might be able to check out of the tax system
0: um, well, there are a couple of um, people that I know, um, a couple of fellow UCT trustees who have done that. And there are others who are engaged in the process of doing it. And it is it, again, the process is on my blog it ha- and there's a video on it as well. And it, it shows you exactly what I did. You see, I'm not telling people what to do. I'm showing you what I did and, and saying, if you do this right, like I did, that's the result you'll get. You have to be prepared to stand your ground on every issue. It's not a magic wand. There's no such thing. And if you fear these people, forget it. Don't take on any of these remedies. You will lose, and it'll probably get worse for you. You have to be fearless. And if you're not fearless, and you've got no choice but to challenge people who are ripping you off, then you're going to have to get some courage together. Because when you face them down for the first time, you'll see it's not actually that hard. And you'll see how they're all bullies and all bullies are cowards underneath and they'll back down when they're challenged sufficiently hard.
1: Yes, okay, good. Um, Let me just ask you a question, it's just in my mind, totally unconnected. Is there any hope for Julian Assange?
0: Um, You see, I think Julian Assange has been used by the CIA, whether he's aware of that or not from the beginning. And um, he is a, a puppet in all of this. They wanted to establish that they could extradite any journalist for saying anything about one of them. That's what they're trying to establish. That's what the fight is. So it is, it, it, it is, a, it is a major fight, whichever way you look at it. But the reason I do think there is hope for him is that there's too many people who support him. There's too many people who know and there are too many people who already know that the US, current US administration, um, whatever you think of the Trump administration, this one is a lot worse by design. And the kind of things that they're doing, the kind of things that they're turning um, into statute law through executive orders it is, is all the stuff of tyrannical dictatorships. So... Literally, this is an application by a tyrannical dictatorship to extradite a journalist for blowing the whistle on them. That's what it is. And so there is hope because people know that and they're still fighting in his corner. Whatever the, the, the dodgy court system here says, that doesn't mean it can't be challenged. It can be challenged. And you know I, haven't got, I don't know enough about it to know exactly what the challenge is. But I do know that if you're relying on legal professionals to get you out of a legal situation, as high profile as this one there's almost no chance that every single legal professional involved has been bought there's almost no chance that they haven't been bought
1: yes yes okay um is there anything more that we should be discussing that we haven't covered already
0: i'm sorry i've got to just get this phone call off okay no worries um, no, I think we should wind up because um, I've, I've got to take my daughter to her uh, martial arts class.
1: Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Michael. I mean, fantastic information as always. And uh, I wish you luck with everything you're doing. And you know, I have uh, incredible admiration for what you've been doing over the years. And I wish you every success in the future and love to speak to you again when you get through to the next stage.
0: Yes, I'd love to, Clive. And it would also be great because I, I release my content on all, all the interviews I do on my own channels, as you know. Could you send me the, uh, the, the file when it's done? Is that yeah, all right? Absolutely. And then it'll get to a... We'll, we'll probably double the amount of people that will see it. I've really enjoyed... I, as, as when we met, I've I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Could have got, it went on longer than, than, I, than I'd anticipated purely because it's so easy to talk to you. So thanks very much. It's been very enjoyable. Well, thank you so much. All the best, Michael. Oh, yes. And before I go, thank you so much for the package that you sent me. It's been great. Wonderful. Excellent. Thank you. Very kind of you. Excellent. All right. Lots All right. of love. You. You. Lots of love. Yes. Cheers, guys. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye.